Today we have the story of Naaman the leper. It isn't the best known story, but it, it teaches some very, very valuable lessons. If you have time this week, I encourage you to read it. Second book of Kings, chapter 5. Second book of Kings, chapter 5, Old Testament. But before I get into the story, I just want to first thank our firemen who are here, who selflessly take care of the community. So gentlemen, thank you for being here and thank you for all you do. The story we hear about isn't probably the best known story. Raise your hand if you know it. The story of Naaman the Syrian. Raise your hand. Why isn't it? Okay, there's a hand. There's a couple. All right. So all we hear today is the end of the story, right? He goes down, he bathes in the Jordan seven times. He gets healed of his leprosy. And for some reason, he takes two truckloads of dirt home. That's the end of the story. So I want to give you just a little bit of background so you can understand these truths. They're, they're about the spiritual life in a sense and about what true healing looks like. And so Naaman, the first thing you have to remember by his name, he is not an Israelite. He's a Syrian. And not only is he a Syrian, he is the general of the armies of Aram or modern day Syria, which makes him an incredibly influential man, an incredibly powerful man, an incredibly successful man. And he is no friend of Israelites. And yet he comes to Israel seeking to meet with the prophet in order to be healed. Naaman shows up to the prophet. I'm going to pick on the reader a little bit here. Uh, The prophet Elisha. Okay? So a lot of people, you're not alone. Many people will pronounce it Elisha. There's Elijah, right? The great prophet. And then the one who succeeds him, Elisha. We're dealing with the second one. Stay with me here, okay? Elisha. So he goes to meet Elisha. The prophet won't even come out to meet him. He brings all this gold and silver, and the prophet doesn't even come up to meet him. He just sends his servant and says, Naaman, go bathe seven times in the Jordan, and you'll be healed. Naaman is incredibly insulted because of his lofty stature. He thought he would at least get to meet this famous prophet, but he doesn't. He gets so angry. And his arrogance, his ego is so overwhelming that he almost doesn't get healed. But he listens to a little Israelite slave who he obviously took on one of his raids of Israel. And he bathed seven times in the Jordan, miraculously healed. And upon being healed, he takes two truckloads of dirt back to Syria. Great. Good story, right? Good story of healing. What's it got to do with us? I want to give you three things, three keys that Naaman the Syrian can teach us about the spiritual life. The first truth is this. Naaman's a great man. He's powerful. He's influential. He's feared. He's probably exceedingly wealthy. But he has a flaw. He has a weakness, a source of shame. He has leprosy. Leprosy is a skin disease and it's not easily covered up. It can be seen readily. Everybody in this church has something like that. You all have a weakness. You all have a flaw. You all have something that you're probably embarrassed of, a hurt inside of you. Something that you just want to go away. Something that you're like, man, if everybody knew this about me, they would not think as highly of me as they do. No matter how rich and powerful you are, no matter how much influence you have, you all have some flaw, some weakness. 
Something that's broken inside of you. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's arrogance. We all have these things. And what you need to learn from Naaman is what led him to God was not his power, wealth, influence. None of those. In fact, those probably kept him away from God. What led him to God was his brokenness, his flaw, his sickness. First lesson from Naaman the Syrian, don't run too quickly from your weaknesses. They're actually touch points for the divine. And why? Listen, I hate these things as much as you guys do. But the reason they're touch points for the divine encounter is because you can't do anything about it. You've tried everything, and no matter what you try, nothing works. And so maybe, just maybe there, you'll turn to God for help. If something is beyond us to heal, then we're going to need something beyond us to fix it. And, and you know what, you guys? Don't get frustrated. I know there's a lot of you who probably have been asking for things for years. I myself, I've been asking to be healed from things, past hurts, wounds, sins, things I want to get rid of. I've been asking for decades. Sometimes they get better. Sometimes they get worse. Sometimes it feels like nothing's happening. During my prayer, I'm totally distracted. Sound familiar? Should. But something's always happening with God. And as long as you stay connected to Him, a healing is always taking place. It might be slow and even imperceptible at times, but something's always happening. I had the coolest uh, experience this last week. Maybe you don't think it's this. I, think it's, I thought it was really cool. And it really fit into this first truth of naming the Syrian. I, had a, I don't know if you know this, but I really injured my shoulder. Uh, the doctors are not sure how I did it. It could be wear and tear over the years. Uh, it could be many... Uh, when I played soccer in high school and college, many accidents and injuries there. I injured myself numerous times snowboarding, trying to flip and twist and all those things. I even got bucked off a mechanical bull and dislocated my shoulder. So there's a lot of problems here, right? So they finally said, all right, here's the deal. you got to get an MRI. And I'm like, huh, all right, MRI. How many of you have done an MRI? Quite a few of you have done an MRI. For those... They have not. I'm going to explain what it is. It's, it's a lot like being chained up in prison in a 1980s arcade game. <clears throat> it is the most bizarre machine on the planet. It's annoying. It's loud. It's distracting. You're like trapped inside of this tube. And then it, it was for my shoulder, so I had to have my palm up, <clears throat> which is literally the most painful possible position my arm can be in. And I had to sit, and they're like, oh, sit still now for 25 minutes. So I'm locked in this tube, in pain, for 25 minutes, staring up at nothing but white. And then what's also interesting, before they put you in the tube, they're like, are you, y'all okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready, I'm fine. I'm like, I'm like, where, they're like, you're going to be good. I'm like, where are you going? And they're like, oh, we're going to go behind this huge door with all these safety precautions, but don't worry, you'll be fine. And then they hit this button, it's like, you go inside this tube. And then I'm like, okay. And then they start talking to you with a, a speaker. They're like, everything okay? I'm like, no, no, it's not. I hate this place. But let's begin. And now comes the fun part. It literally is like an Atari game. It starts and it's just like... It's so loud. 
and so distracting. It's awful. Literally, I'm in there sitting, staring at this white, and I'm not claustrophobic, but you're literally like that far from the tube. And I just started laughing at one point. I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, this can't really be doing anything. What in the hell? How are noises going to make images? I thought it was a waste of time. The machine was awful. It was loud and distracting. I didn't want to be there. I was stuck and I couldn't do anything about it. And it seemed like a big joke. I just told you what my prayer life is like. Because that's what it can be like a lot of the time. And yet, here's the amazing thing. In the midst of all that, something was happening. Something amazing was happening. That machine was actually reading the interior of my body. You guys, the imaging from that machine is absolutely incredible. You can see the ball and socket. You can see the tendons, muscle fibers. You can see everything. And after all of that hell that I went through, the doctors are like, we know what to do now. I'm telling you guys, a lot of times when we pray through our weaknesses, it's a lot like an MRI. We feel trapped. We're in pain. We can't move. It feels like nothing's happening. It's just loud, distracting noises all around us. But here's what's really happening. God is penetrating right into your heart. And it is never a waste of time. No matter how much you think it is, if you're in connection with the divine, something is always happening. And you are slowly being healed. We just can't always see it. Second great truth. It may seem like a super insignificant detail, It's really important. It's that little Israelite slave girl. You, in the context of the history of Israel, you would be hard-pressed to find anybody more insignificant than that little girl. For a lot of reasons. Number one, she's a kid. Nobody cared about kids. She's a girl. In the context of the history of Israel, she has no standing. And she's a slave, which is the worst of all. Yet, Naaman listens to her. He's surrounded by the most powerful, brightest people in Syria. And guess who's the one that gives him the in for his healing? This insignificant nobody. Second lesson to learn from Naaman the Syrian? Be humble enough to receive God's voice in the way he wants to give it. I think so often we look for these big, huge signs flashing around us. God doesn't always work like that. Not everybody's St. Paul getting knocked down, blinded. A lot of it is just little by little by little, and he works in and through all of us. But do you have the humility to see it? And not only to see it, but to receive it. He works in small ways, so have the humility that Naaman had to look, listen, and to hear however God wishes to speak to you. Third great truth, your ego is often your greatest enemy. When Naaman arrived, the prophet didn't even go out to meet him, and he was insulted by that. It would be, just to give you context, it would be like if, I don't know, somebody famous showed up outside the church stores and like, we want to speak to Father Waltz, and I send the server. And tell him, uh, tell him he can sign a piece of paper and give it to me later. The guy's like, what? Does he know who I am? And his ego almost blocks the healing, you guys. 
Pride is the most dangerous thing in the spiritual life. All sin is a type of pride. And if all sin is a type of pride, then all healing must be a form of humility. So learn how to have humility. No matter what your stature is, you're just a human, like all of us. And one of the greatest acts of humility any of you in this church can make is going to confession. The confessional is a place of immense humility. It's also a place of immense healing. So what's the end lesson, the whole story? It all converges on worship. Naaman is cured and he doesn't get up, leave and say, woohoo, back to killing Israelites. Nah, he's changed. And he takes the soil from Israel home so he can put it in his yard, apparently, so he can worship the true God. All healing in the, in the spiritual life, you guys, is directed towards right worship. All of sin is to get us off of right worship onto idol worship. All healing is a transformation into right worship. Think of the Samaritan in the gospel today. What happens to him? He gets healed, he comes back, he kneels down at Jesus' feet and worships. His healing leads to right worship. So what's your weakness? Your sickness? Your leprosy? Don't run from it. It might lead you to God. Second, are you willing to listen to even the most insignificant? Are you willing to let God be God and speak to you in the way He wants to, not in the way that you make Him? And finally, will you be humble enough to do what you must to be healed? And will your spiritual healing bring you back to the foot of this altar on your knees in gratitude? Naaman was a proud man, a powerful man. But he allowed God to conquer his heart through humility. The question is, will you and I do the same?